We have all the verses for you there this morning that we're going to read and refer to. And uh, just encourage you to follow along and just pray. And we'll have a blessed, blessed Bible study. Last week as we looked at Acts chapter 24, we saw Paul as he has now really entered into the Roman judicial system as the Jews are trying to press charges on him and so forth that are really unfounded. We saw Paul standing before Felix, the Roman governor, his accusers bringing those false charges against him. And we just considered the fact that really as they were looking to have Paul killed and they were doing this by presenting lies that they had really aligned themselves with Satan himself and we looked at those verses that talk about ministers of Satan and talked about the fact that there's much of this still in our world today we talked about how to you know deal with these things and how to go about addressing them and praying and so forth and then as you know what Felix was in a place where he said I'm going to wait till we get more witnesses here or more evidence to continue this case we saw paul give an opportunity to talk to felix and his wife drusilla about the gospel of jesus christ about the way of the lord and then it says he reasoned with them about righteousness self-control and the judgment to come and it said felix this man who was in a high position was afraid you know a man who men were fearful of he trembled at the thought of the judgment to come and righteousness and the call to follow Christ. Sadly, instead of us reading that then he came to Christ, it says that he, you know, it told Paul, we'll all hear more about this when I have a convenient time. And we just talked about the fact that the gospel is not convenient. The gospel is not something for us just to put off for, you know, at a later date. But today is the day of salvation and now is the time to call upon the Lord. Well, from there, we saw Felix keeping Paul in prison for the next two years, really in a very unjust way. We also read that he was hoping that money would be offered so that he could release Paul. He was looking to get a payday out of it. This morning, we're going to see a new governor coming in and taking his place named Festus. So we go from Felix to Festus. And we're going to really see that Felix left his mess behind for Festus, really, again, wanting to get a payday, as well as following the mob, really wanting to appease the Jews. In fact, we'll see that both Felix and Festus, they operated not in uprightness, but wanting to do the mob a favor. And boy, there's a lot we can talk about in that. We're also going to see, again, after two years passing, Paul going to his next trial, and these same Jews that really had rejected Christ, were still zealous to destroy Paul. And it's quite interesting how that that zeal had not subsided after him being in prison for a couple years. And we're going to just talk about where that comes from biblically because we see a lot of zeal in our world today against Christ and the things of the Lord. And I think we can glean a lot from that. And then we'll see Paul appealing to Caesar. In fact, the title of our message this morning is Paul appeals to Caesar and he does this to want to get a fair trial they're wanting to bring him back to Jerusalem and he knows I won't get a fair trial so he appeals to Caesar and we're going to talk about believers using the legal system and you know different laws and so forth to spread the gospel and I think again a lot of application to where we are today and then we're going to see Herod the Great remember who had tried to destroy Christ when he was a baby his grandchildren 
coming to, you know, at Caesarea and hearing about all this unfolding and wanting to hear from Paul, really more so though, wanting to display themselves. And we're going to read about them coming with great pomp, you know, putting on a spectacle really to garner attention for themselves. And it's interesting, again, the message is called Paul Appeals to Caesar, Herod's Kids Appeal to Satan. Because we're going to talk about the vanity of that, the pride of that, and so forth. And yet it's so typical in our world today. So a lot for us to glean from. That's a little bit of where we've been, and now we want to go there. We'll just make our way, Lord willing, down here through Acts 25. And some of you guys may have noticed we're getting near the end of Acts. we got about three chapters after this. And, you know, I've been very blessed so far. I hope that you have as well. And it's our prayer that we'll be able to finish well. And that we'll have a super blessed Bible study even right now. So let's read verse 1. And again, we'll just make our way down through the passage this morning. It says, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So remember, Felix had departed. And now Festus has come into this province, which Caesarea, there in northern Galilee by the sea, was part of, along with other areas. And really... Felix, as we already touched on, uh, had catered to the mob in keeping Paul, even though when there was no real legitimate charges against him. And the Roman governors keep talking about this. We saw it talked about in the last chapter. We'll see it talked about in this chapter, really saying there's no reason that he should even be in prison. And yet he continued to be kept in prison. And we saw the reason for that was Felix was wanting to do the Jews a favor, and he was also wanting to get a payday after it. So really, he was being moved by the mob and by the money. And sadly, oftentimes, that's where many people are today. They move with the mob. They move with the consensus. They move with popular opinion versus the word of God versus truth versus the right thing to do. Even if you have to stand against the mob, if you have to stand alone or just with a few others. But here's the thing with that decision making. In the long run, it never ends well. And this is something that we really need to take heed to. Because there's a lot of pressure today to go along, to get along. To want to get the approval of man, even when we know what men are doing is contrary to God's word and God's call and even truth oftentimes though there is a pressure to cave into man to try to get thumbs up you know we call amongst our kids peer pressure but that also exists amongst adults in fact oftentimes amongst adults it's even far more weighty there's far greater consequences when we just go along with the crowd again That's what Felix is doing. Sadly, we'll see. That's what Festus does as well. They both knew that Paul was innocent, and yet there was this angry mob from Jerusalem wanting to kill him, and they went along to do them a favor to get their approval, and again, as well, in hopes of getting something out of it. We've kind of touched on this verse a few times through Acts, but I want to read the totality of it. Proverbs 1.10 down to verse 19 because this is counsel concerning being tempted 
to follow the mob when the mob is erroneous, when the mob is just trying to promote themselves and trying to fatten their wallet. Listen to what God's word says. I just pray we can really soak this in and it would help renew our minds and strengthen us to stand for truth even when there's pressure to cave in. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with this, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us have one purse. And again, we see with Felix, he's following the mob and he's doing it, hoping to get a payday. And you have to wonder, perhaps they counseled him. You know what? You'll get some rewards out of this if you go along with us. It's almost always the case. There is a motive to try to get, you know what, gain monetarily out of these things. Verse 15, he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. And then notice, they lurk secretly for their own lives. So the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain, it takes away the life of its owners. And so there's a warning right there in the scriptures, and there's many of these not to follow along with the mob when they are walking in an unrighteous manner, when they are trying to entice you to sin with them for, you know what, uh, uh, an easy street or being in the place of going along with anybody and not taking any scrutiny or not being in a place where you might be persecuted or go through some tribulation. And we see really clearly here, listen, their lives, you know what, it costs them their lives, as it says here in the long run. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there's many that go in by it. And we look around our world today, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Wide is the gate where there are many on the road that deny Christ, that haven't put their faith in the Lord, that want to just do as they will and follow the God of their belly. But it doesn't end well. It ends in destruction. Hear this this morning. God's way is so much better. God's way is filled with blessings. Is anyone here pro-blessing? Can we say amen to that? We are pro-blessing. We receive the blessings of God. We thank Him for His blessings. Well, notice Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice here. But his delight is the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And really, to walk with the Lord, we need to be a people that stand in the word of God. And we meditate on God's word because there's power found in God's word to stand in truth, even when there's pressure to forsake truth to go along with the mob. Notice verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Is that not good news? And it doesn't say, you know what, whatever he does will prosper in certain times, in certain seasons, and just select generations. No. Whatever he does will prosper in every generation. And really the man who stands 
in the word of God and delights in the word. What he wants to do is to bring glory to God. And we'll prosper and bring glory to God as we delight ourselves in the Lord and we shun the mob, you know, that is wanting to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. A few more verses, verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We want to stand in truth. Find yourself delighting yourself in the law of the Lord and thinking on his word. There's power found in that in resisting, again, the mob mentality. So, again, Felix here, he had caved to the mob. He was looking for money. He leaves finally. Festus comes in. And Festus comes in to have to now really clean up Felix's mess. Don't you love it when someone leaves a mess for you to clean up? Does anyone love that here? That's not a blessing at all, is it? Word for today, clean up your own messes. He left a mess for Festus. And yet there's a great biblical truth in that. We know practically none of us enjoy cleaning up someone's mess, especially when they were in the place where they should have cleaned it up themselves, both practically, mentally, spiritually, It's a messy world, is it not? But each one of us, we need to know that God has called us to see things through as best as we can. And we have opportunity to do that. It's very easy to get into a pattern where we start things and then we stop them and abandon ship midway through. Because we know someone else will come in and clean up the mess. Does anyone know anyone like that? Anyone know anyone that behaves that way or maybe you're like you know what that's me and you're kind of sinking in your seat there a little bit listen to what god's word says concerning these things it says but let each one examine his own work then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for each one shall bear his own load and something that we're seeing here in acts and it's something you even saw on the trial of jesus these are unrighteous trials but one thing we do see is these politicians None of them want to clean up the mess. It's brought to them, and we see them time and time again doing what? Passing the buck. We see it again with Felix passing it to Festus. And now we'll see this morning Festus wanting to pass it back to those in Jerusalem. And finally, Paul having to appeal to a Caesar because he's realizing these guys just keep passing me around. And that's the only place I'm going to get a fair trial. Here's something about those that make messes and leave them for someone else to clean them up. This is how oftentimes they're thought of. This might not be said to them, but this is thought of them. Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. And listen, you know your life best, and you know if you're a mess maker or a mess cleaner upper. You know if you're one that follows the job through or one that abandons the job. Be honest with yourself in these things. Someone may not, people not, may, be, may not be telling you, but Scripture shedding life. You're coming off to them like a bad tooth. You ever had a bad tooth? I mean, one of those teeth that is hurting so bad in the middle of the night, you're trying to find a dentist, dentist, dentist. If not, maybe just a plumber who can come and pull that thing out. It hurts so bad. Or a foot out of joint. Listen, it's an irritant to others when you don't follow things through. And this morning, we want to be followers of Christ and shine for Him. Can we say amen to that? 
Listen, it is a poor witness when you do not clean up your own messes in life when you have the ability and the opportunity to do so. And there's a lot of people that view Christianity in a sour light and even Christians as hypocrites because oftentimes Christians even get this mentality of I'm under grace and I got a freedom so I don't have to clean up my messes. And yet that grace and freedom is there to help you to have the ability to clean those messes up. Jesus said this in Matthew seven thirty seven: let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. When a commitment's made, follow it through. When you have the ability to do so, when you don't do that, the scripture says that it is the evil one. It's satanic. You could almost say that, you know what, when you do not follow in on your word, it is a satanic thing that you're doing. You know what, not willfully wanting to worship the devil, but the Lord says here, it's of the evil one. And then, wonderful psalm here a wonderful encouragement because i know oftentimes we'll make a commitment or there's something we need to follow through other things pile up does that ever happen to you and then you're like to be able to finish this it means i got to stay up tonight or it means i got to work this weekend or it means you know what i don't get to go on vacation this year and yet you know what we'll deem those things more important than keeping our word and we'll say i can only keep it if it's convenient Listen to Psalm 15:4. And whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he who honors the but he who honors those who fear the Lord, but he excuse me, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt but does not change. So in other words, one who keeps his word, one who cleans up his mess or her mess even when it hurts, God says that he honors that. He blesses that that's the time you know we've been out here this morning worshiping the lord and indeed god's been magnified but i'll tell you when you make a commitment to something and you follow it through even when it hurts that brings so much more praise to god when we say i'm going to follow this through and do it under the lord and listen even in this there's greater rewards psalm 16 27 for the son of man will come in glory of his father with his angels Then he will reward each one, notice, according to his works. Don't let someone else steal your rewards by leaving messes for everybody. Clean those messes up with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, even knowing God's going to honor that and God is going to reward that. Can we say amen to that this morning? So Festus has come in to clean up Felix's mess. He's three days on the job and he goes up to Jerusalem. He's already on vacation. You know what? Again, nothing new with that kind of thing. Verse 2, it says, Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem, notice, while they lay ambush along the road to kill him. So Festus has gone to, to Jerusalem, and they ask him, they tell him what's going on with Paul and so forth, And they say, will you bring him down to Jerusalem to try him? Now, Paul had already started in Jerusalem, and they had to take him to Caesarea because they laid an ambush wanting to kill Paul. Remember, his nephew found that out, and when word came to the Romans, they said, we got to get this guy out of here. They really showed integrity. Well, now there's a new governor in charge, and with the new governor, there's kind of a new way of doing things. 
You know, we see this in our political world. And so the Jews, hoping that they can sway Festus, they say, hey, why don't you bring him back down here? This is really where he belongs, so we can try him here. And yet they still have this same plan to ambush him and kill him on the road. And they're trying to do all this in the name of God. You know, they're saying, we keep the law, and yet they are doing something that is so vile and unlawful. Now, a couple things about this. It's interesting. Two years have gone by. Paul's been in prison unlawfully. They they don't even have a real charge against him. In the trial we saw up in Caesarea with Felix, you know, there was no conclusions. There was real no evidence kept. But again, he's kept there wanting to appease the mob and a politician looking for money. You would think after two years, though, that the Jews, their, their zeal against Paul would have subsided. And yet it's not. They're still raging against him. What they really weren't aware of, though, they weren't raging against Paul. They were really raging against the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see hostility against Christians, you see hostility against God's word. When that comes your way, we got to recognize that ultimately this isn't about me or us or individuals. This is a zeal and a rage against the Lord Jesus himself. Remember, we saw Paul himself, when he was confronted by the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? He wasn't directly persecuting Christ. He was persecuting Christians, and yet in persecuting those Christians, Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Your anger is against me. Your zeal is against me. Ephesians 5.30 says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. And when someone persecutes a Christian, for being a follower of Christ, they're really coming against Christ himself. We would do well to remember this as well in dealing with one another. We talked about this a few weeks back. God's called us to build up one another. Oftentimes, though, we can fall into a place where we're tearing down one another. And we got to recognize when we're doing that in a sinful way, we're not just doing that against our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're doing that against the Lord himself. Boy, that makes things a whole lot more weighty. This zeal, again, it hadn't gone by the wayside. And really, it was being fueled by man's sin nature and then resisting the truth. That conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The same conviction that came upon Felix that caused him to fear Paul and to send Paul away for a more convenient time. I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit convicts of these things, when men don't repent, they push back because they want to have a clear conscience in what they are doing. And so oftentimes there is an anger and a zeal that rises up in them that doesn't subside. It's fueled by, again, man's rebellion. It goes back to the garden when man said, I'll be my own God. I'm going to eat of that tree. We don't need you, Lord. In Romans 1, it speaks to this in verse 18. It says these, these men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They push it down. They walk in unrighteousness. and they want to suppress righteousness to try to have a clear conscience in their sin in the midst of the Holy Spirit convicting them of their rebellion. And it's also fueled by Satan himself. Again, we've been, seen many times in First John where it says the world is under, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And then First John 3.10, it says, And this the children of God 
and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And these men were not practicing righteousness. They weren't practicing righteousness before God. They weren't even practicing righteousness before men according to the laws of men. Again, they weren't wanting to give Paul a fair trial. They weren't wanting him to stand and to be judged properly. They're laying in ambush, wanting to kill him, walking in lies. Jesus rightfully so said of them, you're of your father, the devil, who is a liar and a father of lies and who is a murderer. They're in that place. And we need to know that in this world today, nothing's changed. There's a lot of people that are hostile against the Lord and the things of the Lord and the people of the Lord. That's being fueled by their sin nature. That's being fueled by the enemy of, you know what, our soul. And we even know that all this is going to end with the nations of the world gathered together there in Jerusalem, gathered together in the Valley of Armageddon, fighting God, really believing that they're going to defeat God. you got to understand that there is a upper echelon of individuals in this world that think satan is good they think lucifer is the light bearer and they think jesus is bad Do you understand that they think the light comes when you embrace darkness this stuff is all over the world it's been there really since the fall of man it really blew up in the days of nimrod we've talked about this in various places in the book of acts they really believe that in their wickedness they're on the side of righteousness they in fact even teach that lucifer left heaven for them versus recognizing that he rebelled against god and pride and jesus is the one who came and died for their sins but again this is fueled by rebellion just like though what we read in proverbs 1 it doesn't end well for them again still looking to ambush and kill him I have to wonder if those that took the vow, remember earlier, a few years earlier, a bunch of them took a vow. We won't eat or drink until Paul's killed. Maybe they're hungry and thirsty by now. I think they've broken the vow, but it's kind of funny. Somehow they've twisted that, and they still have this zeal. We're going to ambush them and kill them, blinded by their pride. Now, notice verse 4 down through 6. It says, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, And that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. Now, Paul, all this while is in this prison cell in Caesarea. And listen, if you ever have opportunity to go to Israel absolutely go to Caesarea Maritime or Caesarea by the sea the 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 you know at the the archaeological digs there are just phenomenal it might be one of the most detailed places of history in Israel you see the amphitheater there where one of the Herods was struck down dead when the men cried out the voice of God and not a man we read that earlier in Acts it's all unearthed there. It was buried and they unearthed it. This huge, you know, an amphitheater there. You also see what they called the Hippodrome. And the Hippodrome is where the horse was, would race and so forth. What's interesting is right by the Hippodrome, they have found the barracks of the prisoners. And you can even go down underneath them and see one of the prison cells that no doubt Paul had been held in 
for a couple of years. It's pretty awesome to go there and have some Bible studies and worship and realize, man, this stuff happened just as God's word said it happened, that the rocks even cry out and give praise to God in these archaeological digs. So again, they go back up to Caesarea. They take Paul out and, you know, to be brought before Festus. But listen, all of this, and this is good news for us, all of this was the Lord looking out for Paul. God keeping Paul. God, you know what, crushing the plans of the enemy who were far more weightier than Paul practically, who again were trying to use their political influence to get Paul brought back up to Jerusalem so that they could kill him. And yet the Lord knew of all their plans. And all their might and all their influence couldn't pull this off. This is something we should rejoice in this morning. Because if you're going to stand before the Lord today, oftentimes you're going to be practically, from the view of man, on the smaller side. With less resources. With less people standing with you. And yet in Christ Jesus, you need to know this morning, remember, the Lord stands watch over you. You are in the Lord's hands. Psalm 37 23 the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and he delights in his way though he fall he shall not utterly be cast down for the lord upholds him with his hand and so again the lord was complete control here the lord was directing this you know the lord even worked through festus whether he knew it or not to not allow paul to go down but he says i'm going back up you know what you come and join me it was probably a thing that God used Festus, you know, selfishness of saying, I don't want to go back and forth and do this. This is easier for me. Come on up. But ultimately, God was looking out for Paul. And hear this this morning, Christian. God is looking out for you. Isn't that good news? Now, notice verse 7 and 8. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. So essentially they brought these serious complaints against Paul. What's interesting is that nothing seriously had been done concerning any of their persons. Nothing seriously had been done in, you know, the viewpoint of damage or life's lost or anyone hurt. No one had been hurt. None of these people had been hurt. Nothing had been done against their persons. Listen, the only thing Paul had done was preach Jesus. That's the only thing that he did. And hear this, what really was that to them? They could choose to believe or not to believe. But here's the deal. Again, they were driven by a spiritual rebellion. You ever think about this? If someone says God isn't real, if they say Jesus doesn't exist, or Christianity is no big deal, why do they get so upset and bent then when you say you're a Christian and you share the gospel with them? The reason is because there's power in that. Remember Gamaliel had said, listen, leave these men alone. If it's not of God, it will come to nothing. And yet Christianity hasn't come to nothing. It's turned the world upside down. And so though this had nothing to do with these men personally and practically, they were still moved with this rage. Why? Because, again, it weighed on their conscience. The Holy Spirit convicted them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So they were moved with the zeal to try to suppress this. It's the same reason why Cain killed Abel. It's the same reason why Jezebel killed Naboth. We looked at that last week. It's the same reason why they stoned Paul while they're trying to, why, why they stoned Stephen while they're trying to destroy Paul. It's the same reason why we saw last week, our Wednesday night, you know, the charge against the pastor in London who was just preaching biblical marriage and they have him arrested. Has nothing to do to them, has no bearing on them. He's sharing words and yet they're so upset, we're going to go and we're going to arrest this guy. You got to understand this is driven by something deeper. And in that matter, it's more serious than even an offense against them because it's a conviction on their soul. Verse 9, it says, But Festus, like his predecessor Felix, wanted to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Festus, like Felix, knew they had nothing on Paul whatsoever. He shouldn't even have been in jail or prison, and yet wanting to do the mob a favor, being more fearful of men than God, he says, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Again, he is a man that wants to please men versus wanting to please God. Let's not fall into this place. Listen, strive not to be a compromiser. Strive not to be a man pleaser. Strive not to be a facilitator of sin. This guy has the ability to put this to an end, but instead he's facilitating sin and rebellion. Don't do that when you have the opportunity to stop something like this, to speak truth to it. Don't go along with it. Now notice verse 10. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. Paul says, the, you, there's not even charges against me. You know I've done nothing wrong. There's no evidence even against me. He's saying, or I would be a fool to follow, to, to go back to Jerusalem. There's no evidence and they want to kill me. I'm not going to get a fair trial down there. Again, no evidence, yet they keep pushing their agenda. Kind of sounds familiar with some things today to me. No evidence at all, but we're going to keep pushing it. And then verse 11, he says, For if I'm an offender or if I committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there's nothing in these things which these men accuse me of, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul says, listen, if I've done something worthy to death, bring it out. If I deserve to die, let me die. Paul knew he would go to be with the Lord. He didn't fear death. You know, this morning, Christian, you don't need to fear death. The world fears death. We don't need to fear that. Our days are in God's hands. And listen, those days are going to come to an end in God's perfect timing, no matter what we do. We need not fear those things. We have eternal life in Christ. And Paul says, listen, if I deserve to die, then let me die. But here's the thing. I've done nothing that is worthy of death. And these accusations are bogus. I'm not going to be delivered to their hands. I appeal to Caesar. And what Paul was doing here was using the legal system to his advantage. He had done this earlier when he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, when they wanted to scourge him. And now he's appealing to Caesar, knowing that was a way out of being judged by the Jews in hopes of getting a fair trial from the Romans. Interesting, Romans 13 
It talks about governing authorities being appointed by God. There to help bring order to a culture. It says that they are there to be ministers of the Lord, though most of them don't recognize that. And then in Romans 10, 3, it says, rulers are not a terror for good works, but to evil. Sadly, when governments become a terror to good works and, you know what, that they do good to evil, that's when they actually aren't representing God and there's going to be a weighty judgment when they come to that place. But here, Paul is in a situation where the law can be used to his advantage to continue to preach Jesus. And as believers, listen, we need to pray and seek the Lord first above everything. Trust in God, trust God, obey God. But we also should use wisdom. Now, there's sometimes when we have legal means to be able to spread the gospel that ungodly men are trying to hinder through legal means. And it's okay to say, hey, listen, if we got to go to court, we're going to go to court. We're going to do what we need to do. Listen, this yet last year when we, you know what, reofficially open up, I think it was May 24th. We just said, we're, we're, we're not going to stand for this anymore. We're going to open up, and if we got to go to court, we're going to go to court. We have a constitutional right to be doing this. And listen, more so, we got a biblical mandate to be doing this. So we got to do what we got to do. And sometimes people say, well, don't do that. You won't get involved in that. Just be quiet. You know, be able to keep your rights. And here's the thing. When you're quiet, you already lose your rights. And there's some rights we have we want to stand in. Eventually, listen, probably all those rights will be stripped. And that's when it comes down to, well, what's God say? That's what we got to do because ultimately he is our authority. But Paul here is appealing to Caesar and really setting a precedence of using legal systems to spread the gospel, to have opportunity to do that. He doesn't go along with them and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to let him kill me. He says, no, I appeal to Caesar. I have work to get done. There's people that he need to hear the gospel. We're not just going to roll over and go into a corner somewhere. Verse 12, it says, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Festus couldn't deny this to Paul as a Roman citizen. And ultimately, God was using Roman law to restrain these wicked men. God was restraining them from ambushing Paul. And in this case, again, he was using Roman law to do that. As we've been studying in Revelation on Wednesday night, I'm always reading ahead and looking ahead and just looking at different verses on end times prophecy and so forth. And we've talked a lot about this this last year in our Wednesday night study. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, it says, Now the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. You know, the Lord has a restraining hand in the world today. He restrains men from just fully going in the rebellion. And oftentimes in that is God even restraining individuals and groups and those swayed by the devil really wanting to completely snuff out Christianity. That should be something that encourages. That should be something that builds our faith up. Because again, the enemy is a fear monger. And oftentimes, you know what? He presents his 
cause as the boogeyman and wants us to go hide and we forget the wait a minute god directs my steps wait a minute the number of my days are in god's hands wait a minute god has a restraining hand they can plot and plan all they want but the only things are going to unfold are the things that god allows to unfold his restraining hand is so mighty and so powerful but you know it's interesting again as we just read the day's coming when his restraint's going to be taken off when God's going to give mankind over their desire to have a world that's godless. And this just blew me, the way, blew me away the other day. In Revelation 6, it talks about these various horses of the apocalypse. And we know the first one's the white horse that the Antichrist rides. And through covenant, he brings a peace to the world. And yet in the scriptures, it says they'll say peace and safety. Then sudden instruction will come upon them. And listen, I I bring this out this morning just to show how powerful God's restraining hand is. Because the next horse that comes out is the red horse. And this is very early on in the tribulation. It says in Revelation 6, 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, a fiery red went out. And listen to this. It was granted to the one who sit on it to take peace from the earth that people should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. That's how much God's hand is restraining. When God's hand is lifted, all this pinned up anger that people have, this pinned up hate, it's going to be released. No longer will it be restrained. This isn't speaking of a war of nations. This is speaking about neighbors rising up and killing one another. This goes even deeper than this, though. The word kill here, it's actually a different word then murder it's the word safazo in the greek and it's only used in a few other places in the new testament it's used when the description is given of christ dying on the cross or jesus saying i'm going to go to jerusalem they're going to kill the son of man the only other place it's used when it says in hebrews that cain slew abel the reason why is because this word doesn't mean murder you know what it means It means to butcher, especially for food or in sacrifice. And we know the Lord was offered up as a sacrifice to God. And what we're going to see or what the world's going to see in that time when God's hand is restrained, men killing one another for one of two reasons, either to offer a sacrifice to Satan or to, and I hate even talking about this, but this is biblical, to, for food. Because we know what's the next horse. It's a great famine that comes upon the earth. This is very sobering. But it should be something that sobers us up to the power of God's restraining hand. As well as what's going to come upon this earth in the very near future. Because things are unfolding just as the Lord said that they would. And I think it's very easy to come to this place of beginning to think of the tribulation here on earth. As some cakewalk or something. If I get enough supplies, I'll do well in if we have to go through that. Listen, all the more it makes me want to look for the blessed hope of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people got this idea, well, it really doesn't get bad till the second half of the tribulation. Because that's when all of the, you know what, people who say who's like the beast, who can worship them, or who can come against them also say God's wrath has come. They kindly wake up to it. But we read right from the beginning, men rise up to kill one another for sacrifice or for food. Very sobering. Don't think about that when you're eating lunch today afterwards, but 
God's restraining hand is powerful. You're in his hand as a follower of Christ. Please let that build your faith this morning. Now quickly here, after some days, King Agrippi and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And these two are Herod the Great's grandchildren, the one who had tried to kill Christ. They're part of what you would call the elite, the high ups. You could say they're the Illuminati of their day. Again, grandsons of Herod. I have a little description for you in the notes. I'm not going to read all of that. But Bernice is the sister of, of, uh, of Agrippa here. Listen to this description. She's the oldest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, who ruled Israel. I said Palestine in the dictionary. I had to correct that. Who ruled Israel in AD 37-44. According to the historian Josephus, she was first married to a man named Marcus and later to her uncle Herod, king of Chal- Chalcis, who soon afterward died. She later mar- married Palomino, king of Cilicia, but deserted him shortly after the wedding. Then she made her way up to Jerusalem, where she was with Agrippi too. That's what we're reading about now. Bernice eventually became the mistress to a Roman Empire, Vespansia, then to his son Titus. Bernice and her sister Drusilla, who is what? Felix's wife, were two of the most corrupt and shameless women of their time. Can you say Jezebel on steroids? And listen, this is said, and we need to know this because of what comes next. And we're getting close to being done here. Verse 14. And when there have been many days, Festus laid Paul case before the king, saying there's a certain man left, a prisoner, by Felix. Again, Festus has no sense of urgency. It's like so many people with their souls. No sense of urgency. A lot of days go by. You know what? Paul's just there in prison. God had a purpose in it. But he finally mentions it to Agrippi. The next verses are just him bringing him up to speed. Let's read it together, 15 through 21. It says, About whom the chief priests and elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meet the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I suppose, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So praise God, he's preaching Jesus while giving his defense as well. And then in verse 20, and because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be, re, to, to, be, res, to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. And then notice verse 22. Then Agrippi said to Festus, I would also like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And here's God giving opportunity now for Paul to preach the gospel to Herod's grandson and granddaughter, the same Herod who had tried to destroy Jesus Christ. This is what had been on Paul's heart all from the beginning, to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And God's using this trial that he is going through to preach Jesus to men and women in high places. God has a plan, even when we're saying, what's going on here, Lord? 
Listen, they wanted to hear Paul for entertainment purposes, and we'll see here in a minute, to present themselves as a place of being admired by others. But God had a plan here again for kings and authority, who he desires as well to get saved, to come to a place of hearing the gospel of Christ. Now notice verse 23. So the next day when Agrippi and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. So Paul's trial now has become a platform for these carnal people to display, are you ready for this? For them to display their dunghills. We talked about this. Just a dunghill. Paul says, all things I've lost, I counted as dung to be a follower of Christ. All this stuff's going to come and go. Listen, we want to be thankful for our dunghill. We want to use it for God's glory. But that's what it is compared to the glory of God in eternity. And they're using this platform to come and display their dunghill, so to speak. They come with great pomp. That's a phrase that we don't use much today. Great pomp, it means a vain show, a spectacle, something exhibited to view as unusual, notable, entertaining especially, an eye-catching or dramatic public display. You know what this is? This is the Oscars. Let's roll out the red carpet and walk down and everyone look at me and look how I'm dressed and look what I have and so forth. Meanwhile, ratings are just plummeting because people are like, enough. I've had enough of it. But that's what this is. And listen, this is one of the tactics of the enemy to be drawn in by this pomp to follow after it. To think I have to live my life to keep up with the neighbor. So when I drive through the neighborhood, I'm driving through with great pomp. Oh, look at him. Look what he has. Oh, what do they have over there? And so forth. First, want to get recognition from men and for as well. For us want to be to try to get us to be enamored with men and the things that are going to pass away. Don't fall for the trap. Four things to help you with it. Got the notes for you there. Listen, God was not impressed, neither should we be ever. As it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything we have is a gift from God. The scripture says in Romans 13 that love does not, are you ready for this, parade itself. It doesn't parade itself. They're coming in and they're parading themselves. Look at everything we have. Worship us and so forth. And these people did consider themselves to be gods. And yet the truth was the position they had, the health they had, the wealth they had was all given from God. And yet they gave no glory to God. Lord, let that not be us. Listen again, don't be taken in by the pomp of sinful men, their dunghills and their kindling. That's all it is. It's going to burn one day. Don't get drawn away by it. Listen, this is so much better. Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Or think of it like this. Proverbs eleven twenty two. This is Bernice in a nutshell. As a ring of gold in a swine snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. See it for what it is. Not that we want to be mean-spirited or whatnot. But we want to see these things for what they are. Listen, all this pomp, all this parading here, it's satanic and it doesn't end well. This was all birthed when Lucifer, who we referred to earlier, rebelled against God the Father. 
This is what's said about him in Isaiah 14, 11. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol or to hell. The sound of your string instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you're cut down to the ground, you who weakens the nations. And then notice Isaiah 5, 14. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he who is jubilant shall descend into it. Here's a far better way. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Notice verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Finally here, verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippi and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving to death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippi, so that after the examination <coughs> has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. So no charges. Why is this happening? Out of the fear of man, to want to get favors of men, to want to try to advance through corrupt means. But more so, it was happening because God was allowing it to happen. For Paul's good, for God's glory, and for him to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in places where normally the gospel of Jesus Christ would have difficulty getting to. And yet he's standing before these men and women in these high places even giving them opportunity to call upon the Lord because there's no partiality with God. Next week, we'll see what Paul has to say to these folks. I'll tell you this, he doesn't hold anything back. Let's stand up and let's worship the Lord and close and lifting our voices to him. Heavenly Father, we just praise you this day. We give you glory, we give you honor. Lord, there's just so much here for us to glean and consider, God. And I thank you, God, that, Lord, in these latter chapters of Acts, God, Lord, we are getting the opportunity to go through them and, Lord, to, God, get insights even into this world that we're living in today. God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Let us be found a people not looking to parade ourselves, but instead a people looking to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that this morning? And if you're here today and you haven't called upon the Lord, listen, today is the day of salvation. Sin brings death. Sin is separation from God. If we die in our sins, we will spend eternity in that same Sheol or hell that we read about there concerning Lucifer. This isn't my doctrine. This is the Word of God. This is the doctrine of Jesus Christ or the teachings of the Lord. It's bad news. There's nothing good about it at all. But there is good news. <coughs> Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He paid the penalty of your sin. And the scripture says, whoever, poor or rich, male, female, 
Gentile Jew, whoever it is that will call upon Christ to be their Lord and Savior will be saved. If you haven't called on Him, today's the day of salvation. Humble your heart before God. Ask Him to cleanse you and forgive you. Put your faith in Jesus and He will meet you where you're at. Lord, let us finish well lifting our voices to you. Let's worship the Lord as we close this morning. Remember to go by and get your gift over there and get a picture in the balloon garland. And just pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless all you guys.